0: This Scientific American podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, your source for audiobooks and more. Audible.com features more than 100,000 titles, including science books you've been meaning to check out, like Kevin Dutton's The Wisdom of Psychopaths, What Saints, Spies, and Serial Killers Can Teach Us About Success, and Richard Panick's The 4% Universe, Dark Matter, Dark Energy, and The Race to Discover the Rest of Reality. Right now, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook and a one-month trial membership to the Scientific American audience. For details, go to audible.com slash sciam. Steve Mursky here. Welcome back for part two of the panel discussion about Isaac Newton, following a performance of the play Isaac's Eye on February 20th. This production of the play runs through March 10th at the Ensemble Studio Theater. Your panelists again are playwright Lucas Nath, NYU astronomer and science historian Matthew Stanley, Columbia University science historian Matthew Jones, and the moderator, Yeshiva University physicist Gabriel Quillich.
1: We left out the other big character in this play, Hook, uh, and he's an incredibly interesting character. Say something, about, say something Hook.
2: about Yeah, so I, I was—I mean, I was very pleased to see Hook here, and it, in, and he functions very effectively, if anachronistically, as you indicate at the end of the play. Um, and w- Hook, like Newton, came from uh, you know very modest social circumstances, and it's more and that modesty of his social circumstance besides, despite going to Oxford is is part of what enabled him to do the sorts of things he did. The Royal Society probably would have been a talking club and of very little significance. He just had a, a, a topography of London. If you wanted to get anything from drugs to, uh, to any kind of chemical thing or any mechanical contrivance he could call in literally favors and have it done almost overnight, so Leibniz demonstrates a calculating machine. Hook says, and this is classic for Hook. oh, I already have one of these. <laughs> Complete crap. Um, but uh, a month later, demonstrates one that probably worked its better. It's one of the missing items, actually, that's alluded to in the play. But he could do that. Now, that meant that the Royal Society could be more than words about intervening in nature, because Hook was the one who could get air pumps working, because he's the one who could find cement that you, you know, remember, this is an age when nothing is standardized. No chemicals, mm-hmm. no... You, know, you can't depend on anything, which is why, uh, say, Newton and Huygens and all these people, they blow their own glass and make their own mm-hmm. lenses, because you can't trust anything. Hooke was a master at this. Um, and so his, the, the, the character of his... Uh, the, the, he's a sort of wheeler-dealer with knowledge of the street is integral to the kind of science and technology he does. It's, it couldn't happen. If he weren't this sort of character, um, the other thing I'd say about the diary is is one thing I very much liked is that the 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 diary, like the needle in the eye, those are tools of investigating the perversities of the self. There's this deep and profound sense they don't know how to trust themselves as individuals. They they they, they, they and the answers that philosophy has given don't. And so diaries, as well as sticking needles in your eyes, are investigating yourself so that you may be able to have any sense of what you might be able to say about the nature. They're integrated practices. And it's not accidental that Hook is writing his diary around the same time mm-hmm. as Peeps. We don't have diaries of this kind uh, if you were going 50 years early. It's just mm-hmm. not there. Whereas for the next century and a half, we're going to have too many. Um, and they're not nearly as interesting as hooks. So, um, well, peeps is pretty interesting. No, peeps is even more interesting. Uh, peeps is not as um, laconic. I mean, hook is very laconic. Anyway, as we see, right? No, this is this is the what the t- entire <laughs> text looks
1: like. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, perhaps it's a good time to open it a little bit to see if there are questions here addressed to any of the panelists. Uh,
3: I, I can't
2: see one hand there. On. On. Well, yeah, to, well, I have some questions. One is, what do you think Newton's theological beliefs were, if any? they—they seem to be complex I and. Mean. I I
3: mean. Anyone? Well, wants sure. To um, so Newton's theological beliefs were, as you say, complex to a certain degree, idiosyncratic. Um, he. Uh, as the play discussed, denied the reality of the Trinity. And this is a conclusion he probably came to by doing his own biblical scholarship. So Newton uh, sort of invents what nowadays we would call biblical criticism. A couple hundred years ahead of time. And one of the things um, he does is find multiple different versions of early Christian and Hebrew scripture. So for instance, he has this great chart where he has several different versions of the book of Daniel um, put sort of parallel, so he can try and figure out what the original version of these texts was and uh, he decides that the earliest references to the Trinity don't appear until the 4th century, and therefore the Trinity is clearly a plot Um, possibly satanic, probably probably papist, actually, he thinks it's a Roman Catholic conspiracy, um, to turn true Christians away from true Christianity. So he essentially comes to think that Orthodox Christianity is a vast conspiracy to turn people away from the truth. So he spends most of his life, right? We think of Newton as a physicist or mathematician, but he spends, he writes several million words of theology over the course of his life. And spends, if you add up like number of days or number of years, that's what he spends his time doing, is writing theology, trying to find um, the true Christian religion. Uh, so the closest analog to his um, his particular scheme is this early Christian heresy called Arianism, which denies that Jesus was divine, and Jesus was sort of created as this intermediary between God and uh, the world, but doesn't have any divine properties uh, on its own. But a lot of Newton Theological Manuscripts are actually available online now um, at the Newton Project, so if you want to entertain yourself for a while, you can read through this for a, for a long For oh, A very long time, that's right. Um, and so he becomes obsessed with the, the true nature of Scripture. He spends time trying to figure out the original dimensions of the Temple of Solomon, um, in addition to... Uh, figuring out what the true Christian scripture said before they were corrupted. So it's in in some sense impossible to summarize his theological views, but hopefully this gives you some sense of the the variety of things he was interested in. Yeah, the only thing I'd add to that is that he he
2: believes Mm. that a a properly amended scripture is an independent source of knowledge from knowledge of nature, and that they both will contribute to knowledge of the divine. And he writes absolutely parallel rules for reasoning and philosophy, which he puts in the Principia, his great book of physics, and he writes rules for the interpretation of scripture, which are rational rules for dealing with revealed scripture, which needs to be amended, but is nonetheless an, you know, so it's, it's, on the one hand, um, a profound new kind of rationalism applied both to nature and to scripture, but on the other hand, it's He's, you know, convinced of the 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 the, the, the that scripture carries something above and beyond anything one could find
3: in the natural world. Yeah, deep truth that that as a, an honest inquirer about the world, one is obligated to interrogate scripture in the same way you interrogate nature. Right? It would be foolish to leave one of these sources of knowledge behind.
2: Who would you consider a greater scientist, Newton or hooke
1: with <laughs> the <laughs> <laughs> scientometers.
3: Well, historians are are professionally obligated to not answer those questions, yeah. generally. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think one of the interest in terms of legacy, one of the things I find interesting about Hooke uh, is that he sort of gets ridden out of history in a very important way. And partly that's because Newton wants to crush all record of his <laughs> rival. But also um, as Matt was just talking about, the, the gifts that Hooke brought to the investigation of experimental philosophy were mechanical and messy and dirty and relied on your hands and knowing how to make cement and smoking enough opium before you worked on the, the air pump and such. And those were the sort of characteristics <laughs> that men of science did not necessarily want themselves associated with. Very often. So the messy parts, uh, Hook was so closely associated with the messy effectiveness of experimentation that people were happy to not talk about him because they didn't want science to look messy. So in that sense, Hook is great insofar as people didn't talk about him.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, one thing I should say about
2: Hook is it, th- despite the nature of the rivalry, Hooke knew, say, his lack of the kind of mathematical gifts that Newton had. And it was really under Hooke's prodding and indeed almost creating rivalry that he enabled Newton to come out of his shell and use... I mean, Newton had produced this unbelievable new mathematics and this unbelievable new account of motion but not done anything. He really just sat on this stuff. He was totally ambivalent about publication and especially after the disaster of what happened when his optical paper was published. But Hooke, for all of his faults, had a sense that Newton could solve these problems. And indeed, out of that emerged, a, almost forced Newton's Newson- hand into producing the Principia, which truly is a sort of a, a, a turning point in the way one thinks about the relationship between mathematics and mathematics.
1: If I can add something to the question, a historian, as you say, is not supposed to say. I am not a historian. My day job when I cannot hang around the theater here is to be a physicist. So, uh, And if you ask physicists, and actually I believe somebody polled somehow, I remember having read about that, who is the biggest in your profession? And without any doubt, everybody would say Newton, that Newton is the biggest physicist ever existed, even if we call Galileo the father of our profession, even if Einstein is our most popular figure and everybody believes he's a genius, everybody There was no one in physics like Newton. So in that sense, they would answer you If you ask physicists, they would say, Newton and anything. It's not Hook. it's not anyone else, it's Newton.
3: Along these lines, some years ago, uh, I was in a cab um, going from this airport in the middle of Indiana to a physics conference, and the cabbie said... Where are you going? It's a physics conference, and he says, "I know one thing about physics. Yeah. The king of physics is Isaac Newton." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it is diffused <laughs> all the way. To and he
1: faces a man. Yeah. <laughs>
3: That's right. yeah.
1: Is
2: there one biography of Newton oh. that you would recommend? Oh boy. <laughs> I, what I would recommend actually is um, there's a small volume published by N- Norton. Which is uh, it's the Norton critical edition of newton's writings and in interweaves biography with very carefully selected examples of his writings um and the reason I suggest it is that something like the optics paper that is at the heart of this play is extremely readable um and i so uh it's so I, I very much commend that volume, and in there it it has references to the major biographies, which range from very large ones, very small ones. But I think it's it's very it's both entertaining and interesting to get a texture, and the text the the you know it's 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 carefully selected that it's completely it's completely legible. So that's what I would I, I would recommend. Um, and then this Newton project that Matt referred to. Is putting together all of these manuscripts, many of which no one wanted. 60 years ago, people didn't want to keep the papers on alchemy. They didn't want to keep the theology papers, so they're in funny places in some cases. A lot of them are in, 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 in a lot of the theological papers are in Israel, for example. Um, so, because Cambridge just didn't care. Those are now being put online, and you can get a taste of the diversity of his interests, um, including
3: the wonderful Of Colors manuscript that the the whole experiment with the bodkin comes from. Yeah, I'll second that, that edition. That's what I use for teaching. And it is surprisingly fun, right? It's the sort of thing where you can pick it up and kind of read 10 or 20 pages, and you're like, wow. I know something cool. <laughs> yeah, and he's a wonderful letter. Of, like,
2: if you want to read the Principia, you need to read the following seventy books, uh, and then what the editors provide you is the first example, first preposition of the uh, Principia, and then, as it were, Newton's own popularization of his natural philosophy, which is again completely logical. Have Newton dabbled in the Kabbalah
3: and in alchemy. Well, I'd say more than dabbled. Um, Again, probably wrote a couple million words on alchemy. Um, it was one of the intense foci of his, well, I was about to say later life, that's not really true, even when he was a young man. Um, and partly, Matt can say more about this, one of the things I think he found very attractive about alchemy is the. Uh, it was an opportunity to see forces that were not normally present in nature. That is, you know, you have falling objects and you have light but when you start messing around with alchemy, you get really strange things happening. So it was a way of, of looking into forces that he couldn't find otherwise. Yeah, and
2: alchemy, we, we tend to think of alchemy as being sort of all
3: mumbo-jumbo and
2: about creating gold, and it was a lot of that. And he spent a lot of time figuring that out. But it also was really a way of doing incredibly practical chemistry. So it had a very elaborate experimental apparatus but also was a very important theory about what matter in motion is like and so just as newton was interested in in his physics he said the world is not simply particles hitting each other but it, it's particles plus this really strange force called gravity with the experiments that he was able to he did in his alchemy what he found were principles of growth and production which he thought he could analyze on the same term um, Kabbalah, that's a little, uh, hard to say. I, he was interested in an entire strand of thinking which said something like this, uh, and this is very popular in the European Renaissance, that at the time of Moses, or even before, there was a sort of pure knowledge of God's intention, so a true Abra- uh, the true religion of Abraham, and on the on the one hand, and on the other hand, a true knowledge of the way nature really is. Um, and that this had gotten corrupted over thousands and thousands of years and so Judaism, Christianity Islam were all corrupted versions of this including the Kabbalah and so were all the bad forms of natural philosophy. And he believed this to such an extent that at one point he was preparing an edition of the Principia that included marginal annotations to show how some of the ancients clearly had knowledge of all of his discoveries because there was this great knowledge in the past. So it's, it's one of those moments where he's completely embedded on the one hand in creating the most modern new mathematics And believing, and and the evidence suggests that he really did believe that this had been lost in 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 a great time when true true uh, kings ruled, in which there was not this kind of human corruption. And just to bring it back to alchemy, alchemy was seen as a practical art, but it was also sort of a way of transforming things such that they returned to a less corrupted state. And as I said, there's this almost everyone in the 17th century Europe is convinced that what you need to understand is how human beings are corrupted. Mm-hmm. And then try to fix it, maybe. And alchemy was one bit of that.
1: Fascinating. Well, uh, yes,
2: Richard. Yeah, I said one, there's a
0: somewhat mean spirit in the play. I'm wondering to what extent this is an accurate depiction of Newton and what drove that kind of mean spirit. I'd say
3: the play might even be a slightly nice interpretation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I um, completely agree. <laughs> uh, as for what drove it, I guess that's harder to say.
2: Yeah, that's extremely
3: mm-hmm. that, that's
2: extremely hard to say. Um, and there's been, a, there's been a very substantial uh, industry, you can imagine, of psychoanalytic readings of Newton. Yeah. Um Precisely because this character had such strong characteristics, and um, this is in some sense fallen out of fashion. But it, it was—he was a very challenging person, as we might say—and he was from very early on. Um, and the, you know, the, there's these evidence about—you know—we have Hook's diary on the one hand, and then there was this, this uh, uh, list of Newton's sins in shorthand. And you guys <laughs> both know about this. And historians were sort of mouth This is going to be the best stuff. And so someone finally figures out what the shorthand is, and they decode it. And the sins are things like, took a bath on the Sabbath.
3: (laughs) 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 Yeah, that, you know, he made pies when he was... Yeah, Yeah, no, exactly. Um,
2: But it's an indication that, you know, when we say, you know, the the phrase puritanical street, it's in a strict, there's a strict sense in which he had a very profound what we might characterize as puritanical sense of self and sense of the, 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 the how to maintain his integrity and one of the things that led him to just strike out against everyone that he saw as, as any way impugning his integrity which was, as I think Lucas got uh, quite rightly, almost every single person on the earth yes. uh, what I love about that list of sins was it's, uh, yeah I, I ate an apple on the Lord's Day right. I slept in on the Lord's Day and then wished for the death of myself and right. others. Right. <laughs> Just throw it in there, and that's you know, the sort of a sudden leap. There's something yeah. kind of charming
1: about
3: that. Right. Yeah. And I think this actually brings us back very nicely to the theme has articulated. That this is a period in which people are deeply suspicious about their ability to understand and regulate themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of Newton's mean-spiritedness, I think, comes from that kind of... Deep crisis of anxiety about not being able to control his his body or his thoughts, and working hard around that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in in one word, uh, he didn't exaggerate. I mean, yeah. he didn't <laughs> was the. Uh, I always tell my students, perhaps you will tell me if I have been lying, I tell the students this man invented or discovered 80% of the centuries, of the science in the century he lived and spent all his time fighting to get credit for the other 20%. uh, He didn't Well, perhaps it's a good time now to close and to thank our panelists.